Good morning, Grace. Sorry, I was buffering a little bit. I wanted to uh, welcome you to our service this morning, and uh, obviously all of us are looking forward to uh, next week when we're able to be back together in this building, in this place, and although it'll look a little bit different to you when you come, uh, it'll be a great opportunity uh, for us to remember what it was like to be together. And I know that uh, you guys have been missing that just as I have been. And I trust you'll be able to participate uh, with us uh, next week. Don't forget that our first service begins at 8.45 in the morning. And so uh, you come prepared for that, those of you who are uh, 50 or older. And uh, you come be a part of that service. And then our second service will start at 10.45. And the reason for... The, the time there, uh, the difference in the services is because we need some time to be able to get prepared for the second service. And so I encourage you um, to attend next week if you can. And if you, you can't for some reason uh, be with us, then uh, know that we'll still be streaming our services online for you so that you can follow along with us. And um, so just wanted to give you that kind of quick update uh, this morning. And um, now let's turn our attention to the Word of God and reading God's Word. And I'd ask you to take your Bibles and turn to the book of Philippians as we're reading through Philippians. And we're in chapter 2 now. And we're going to read verses 1 through 11 this morning. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. And I, I would ask that you stand as we, as we read God's Word together. Look at what Paul writes here. To the church at Philippi. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love. United in spirit, intent on one purpose. Paul says, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus every knee, now notice this tense of this verb here, will, future tense, will bow. Not might bow, not maybe, but will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And that every tongue, look at this, future tense, will confess. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. 
May the Lord bless the reading of his word uh, this morning. Let's bow together and let's pray. Wow, what a passage. Lord, it's not natural for us to consider others first. It only is going to happen when we allow your spirit to control our lives. What an example we have in the person of Jesus Christ. What a servant. One who put others first. Um, just, just an amazing, amazing picture we have in the New Testament of our Savior Jesus Christ. What a day it will be when every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. For those of us that know the Lord Jesus Christ, we will do it because He is our Lord and He is our Savior. But there will be many that will bow and confess that don't do it now. Oh Lord, please show us this week the opportunities that are afforded to us to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with others. Help us to be prepared to give an account for the hope that is in us through Jesus Christ. I pray this morning, Father, that everything we do in song, in the reading of your word, in the studying of your word, I pray it would be bring honor to you. And I pray that you would help us to be teachable people ready to learn from the Master who is Jesus Christ the Lord. And we pray all of this in His name. Amen.
And that song reminds us of the greatness of our God, how wonderful, how powerful that he really is. And he's given us so many reasons, so many reasons to come and praise him this morning. And, um, and I hope that you have, like this song says, maybe 10,000 reasons to praise him this morning. So let's just join together in praise of our Lord. Let's sing 10,000 reasons. Sing like never before, oh 
so thankful to you tonight, today that you took wretch like me and like all of us Father because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God and none of us deserve you Lord but Father you made the way the deep 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 love that you have shown for each and every one of us God we just want to thank you for that and for that one reason, even though we have 10,000, God, but for that one reason, we come to worship you and to praise you and honor you in our worship and song. As Thad comes and brings the message to us in a few minutes, Lord, and as we go through our daily lives and we commit our lives to you, God, it's all because of that deep, deep love that you have shown to us. And given us the opportunity to be a part of who you are, Father, part of your kingdom. God, thank you, and we praise you for this hour. These things we pray in your Son, Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, thank you, Ron, and praise team. We appreciate so very much those who have continued to minister over these last eight or nine weeks that we've uh, been doing services like this and um, I praise the Lord next week we'll have more than just the puppets and a few here we'll have hopefully others that'll be able to join us and uh, just a reminder if you're not if you, you don't feel comfortable coming uh, make sure that you know uh, that uh, these services will continue to stream online for you and, and that's so so very important we've been able to reach a lot of different folks uh, through this time we just praise the Lord for that um, this morning, I've got something different for us. Um, if, you're, if you've already turned to 2 Timothy, uh, don't. <laughs> um, we're not going to be in 2 Timothy today or next week. And uh, the last week of this month, um, the 31st, uh, George Morange will be uh, speaking. Uh, it's George's final uh, Sunday as associate pastor. And um, there's no way I can thank George enough. Uh, for just walking beside me over these last several years and, and I look forward to many more years of walking beside George but um, we're going to have a special service that morning and I'll, I'll be saying a few more things about the ministry of George and Glenda over these last many years and I look forward to that Sunday we will be back in 2 Timothy um, 
after that. So we know it won't go anywhere, all right? But this morning um, and next week, I wanted to spend some time on talk, talking about the response of the church to what's going on in our world today. Um, I don't know how many times I've been asked over the last eight or nine weeks about my thoughts on what's going on and um, too many to count. And so over the weeks, I've just been kind of wrestling through you know, what is it that the church can learn uh, from this? I mean, you know, one of the great advantages we have as the church is we know the end of the story. <laughs> you know, what, what a great advantage that is. Uh, the world out there is, is trying to, to figure out what that is, and we have the answers through the Word of God. What a, what a great privilege that is. And so, for us, we have a great advantage. To the world, there's a great disadvantage because all they're looking for is peace. You know, they're looking for rest. and um, They're looking for things that really, for the Christian community, uh, is not something new. I mean, um, one of the things that has hit me over the last several weeks is that in, in preparing for this week and next week has been, you know, what we speak about these next two weeks should not be something that's new to us. Um, it shouldn't be based on what's going on in our world as it relates to uh, this virus. Um, we should already have considered these things. <laughs> um, and I really honestly don't know how much you're going to enjoy these two weeks. Um, I've enjoyed going through them, but it's been very hard because one of the things that it forces you to do is kind of... Um, really reflect and to be honest about where you are in your relationship with the Lord. And oftentimes that's difficult to do. And it's difficult to kind of examine yourself and say, hey, Lord, where am I really with you? And um, So I don't want to make it about the virus. I knew that. But I, I wanted to make it about um, our response as Christians to anything that comes up that maybe we weren't expecting. Like, for example, um, let me just give you a, a couple of things to think about. Like, how we deal with rebellious children. You know, that happens. You know, how do you deal with rebellious children? Um, how do you deal with going through a rough spot or rough patch in your marriage? I mean, how does that look for you and for me when that happens? Maybe dealing with a health issue. You know, there's unexpected health issues that come up in our lives, and and how do we deal with those things? Um, and then maybe it could be living in fear, you know, for some. Um, now, and maybe even as one thinks about the future, maybe there's a little fear. And, and, and I just want to say, this message today and next week is for the believer. It's for the church. These principles that I'll talk about this week and next week have everything to do with sanctification, have everything to do with the Christian life. There's a response by the world to what's going on, but the church should look a whole lot different. Um, and what I did was pretty simple, and all of it came, it came from the Lord. There's no doubt about that part. I'm not smart enough to figure all this out. The Lord just brought my mind to two words, live life and then fill in the blank. And so I began to write, live life, da-da-da-da-da, live life, da-da-da-da. And all of it's based on the scriptures. 
and all of it's based on a person who has a relationship with the Lord and is in that life of sanctification, like scholars call it, biblical scholars, biblical theologians. It's the life of sanctification, how we live from day to day. And some of this is, is easier than other things to accept, but some of this is very difficult. Because no matter what we're going through in life, we need to consider these principles. Whether it's handling what's going on in our world now, or handling a rebellious child, or a marriage that's going south, whatever the issue, these things apply for every believer. One of the things you could do this afternoon, after you have your steak, <laughs> I've been thinking you know, every week we've had something different. We had fried bologna, and then we went to pimento cheese with bacon, and then we had the hamburger. I mean, you want the steak today. Get the steak when Dixie's got a sell. I just found out about it a few minutes ago. But as you, this afternoon, consider the things that we talk about today, um, maybe you could write out, live life, and then fill in the blank. The first one um, is live life confessing sin. Now that might look a little bit strange to you um, in terms of how is this responding to what's going on now. Well, one of the things that's happened for sure during this time is we've had a lot more time to ourselves. A lot more time to do some reflection and examination. Um, think about the things you've done during the last couple of months. I mean, you've cleaned your house like it probably has never been cleaned, right? But there are dead moments or times that come up. And, and one of the things that I think for a believer is a great exercise is in examining our lives on a regular basis. And when we do that, we have to consider this issue of living life confessing sin. One of the things the Lord tells us not to do that I think a lot have been tempted to do during this time, and myself included, I don't, I don't put myself in a different category, but worry can trap believers. It can put them in cages. Just that one sin alone the Lord doesn't want us to be anxious about anything. In fact, um, it's clear in Matthew and in Philippians that God's desire is that we be resting in him. Um, I wanted to give you a couple of texts to think about as it relates to this issue of living life confessing sin. The first one comes from Psalm 32. Now, Psalm 32 and Psalm 51 are psalms that um, David wrote about his sin with Bathsheba and, and how that was brought to his attention and how he dealt with that before the Lord. Look at what it says in Psalm 32, verse 5. I acknowledged my sin to you. That word sin in the Hebrew sometimes can refer to habitual sin. A sin that occurs over and over and over again. It's hard to think about in, 
for the believer because we don't like to think a believer can be in sin habitually, but a believer can be. There's no doubt about that part. I mean, the church in Corinth, um, they should have been progressing and maturing. But what is Paul telling them in 1 Corinthians 3? You know, you're mere babes in Christ. You're not walking like you need to be and maturing. You're acting like the world. And so there are times in our lives where we face that, don't we, if we're honest? So David said, I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity. I did not hide. Three words in here he uses to refer to his sin. The word iniquity means fault, my fault. And it also can mean perversity. My perversity, I did not hide. David goes on to say, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. That last little phrase there, you forgave the guilt of my sin. We all know what it's like to be to have that guilt, don't we? We're familiar with that. I want to say a couple of things about this verse, but I want to first show you that David had that. Look at right before he writes verse 5 that we just read. He writes this, When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. David, it's, it's this picture of sin just being weighty on him. It's a picture of, of, of weights being placed on a per, person's chest. That doesn't feel good. If you ever tried to lift weights and tried to lift a weight that was just too much to lift off your chest... Um, when I was young, really young, I used to lift weights sometimes. And there was times where I felt really motivated. I thought I could lift a certain amount of weight. And there's nothing like having that on your chest and not being able to get it off. David had the guilt and the Lord, notice he says, he makes it a point. You forgave the guilt of my sin. You know, carrying that guilt is excruciating. And I'm sure many of us have been through that. And you may be there now. It may be that there's something that's been going on in the last nine weeks in this this time where where you've had that time of confession with the Lord, but maybe there's something going on and it's continuing and, and you need help to confess that. I would just ask that you would consider the helper of the Holy Spirit to help you through that confession. It's interesting the way that David ends those verses. It's the word selah. People tend to read through that and just kind of ignore that word, but I can't do that. I'm not one that can ignore words. But the word's interesting because some scholars believe that selah was a musical notation meaning silence or pause. That's one particular thought. The other is this, um, that it's not only a time to pause, but a time, it was put in there, to, to pause and to reflect. That's, 
you know, we don't do a whole lot of pausing except in the last eight or nine weeks. I mean, our, our culture is just go, go, go all the time, all the time, all the time. But one of the things that has happened over the last eight or nine weeks is we've been allowed to pause and consider. And that's exactly what's going on in these verses. David writes and reflects. He writes and reflects. I know in my life I could use that discipline a little bit more when it comes to the scriptures. Reading and reflecting, reading and reflecting. What is being said? Well, in the New Testament, there's a verse that we're all familiar with, but I want to talk about it for just a moment, and that's 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. Remember, live life confessing sin. John writes this, and I want you to notice the pronouns. If we confess our sins, who's we? I mean, in the context of 1 John, you would have to go back to the beginning of chapter 1, where he talks about who the we are. He says, what was heard from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have touched have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Who's the we? The we are the disciples, the apostles. But it also not only includes John and the apostles, but it includes us as Christians. If we confess our sins. Now you notice that if there is conditional. If we do and we should is the idea. I like the way that reads. If we do... And we should. Shouldn't we? So John's saying, if we confess and we should our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The definition of confess is an interesting word. It means to agree with. It means to be in full agreement with. Wow, how hard is that to achieve in a family? To be in full agreement about something. But in this context, it's to be in agreement with God that this indeed is sin. In fact, the word itself was used um, to uh, describe someone confessing publicly. So it brings to our mind confessing our sins one to another. That's healthy to do. There's a freedom that comes with confession. Did you know that? David knew that. (laughs) We should know that. That there's a freedom. That we should have it as our habit. Whether it's in this time or not. As we examine and reflect in our lives. That it's on our minds to confess all the time. And, and we don't have to hide in a corner to confess it. The guilt's going to drive us down. But when we confess it, we're saying to God, God, I agree with you. This is sin. And that's freeing. Dr. Erwin Lutzer was the pastor of Moody Church in Chicago, Illinois from 1980. 
to 2016. Listen to what he writes about this very subject. He says, forgiveness is always free. That's hard to fathom, isn't it? Well, I I believe it, but it's hard to fathom. Forgiveness is always free. But doesn't that mean, but that doesn't mean, excuse me, that confession is always easy. It's not always easy. Sometimes it is hard. In fact, he writes incredibly hard. Why is it hard to confess? So I'm, I'm reading through that and I'm like, well, why is it hard to confess? Pride, 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 pride. You know what pride does? Pride looks this way and that way and says, I'm not as bad as this guy. And I'm not as bad as that girl. That's not the way to look at it. I've got to look vertically. Lord, what have you said? If you've said this is sin, then I need to acknowledge it and confess it and say, Lord, I've sinned. He goes on to write, it is painful to admit our sins. (laughs) It is. It just is. And the only thing I can come up with is the issue of pride. Pride will keep person from admitting truth the truth is let's be honest and since you're not here to throw darts at me I can really say this there's a really good possibility that we sin a good bit there's a good possibility that we don't make it through a day without sin or a week without sin and there are times when when things are going well and we're we're in tune with the Spirit, and we're walking by the Spirit, and we're being controlled by the Spirit, and all those things are going on. But then it just takes one thought, doesn't it? I want to tell you something. What a blessing it is to know when we confess. You get the last part of that? When we confess, He is faithful, and He's righteous to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So one of the things that... I would encourage the church to do is during this time is as you reflect, live life confessing sin. This should not be something that's new. These next two kind of go together. Live life serving the Lord and others. And that is in the right order. Live life serving the Lord and others. This is harder than it looks on the surface. Living life serving the Lord. You know, it was was expected of Israel that they would do that. So one of my suggestions then would be this, that as we're living through this time, we would live life confessing sin and we would live life serving the Lord and others. And, And you see how I came to the conclusion, this shouldn't be any different from what we normally do. So no matter what's in front of us, we live life serving the Lord and others. And the Apostle Paul had that mind. To live as Christ, to die as gain. If I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me. So this is what was expected of Israel. Now Israel, what does the Lord your God require from you? And listen, he's just straightforward. 
I don't know how you'd get around any of this. But you could use that phrase, live life, because you see here. But to fear the Lord your God. Live life fearing the Lord. That could be another one. If you go through that exercise this afternoon, you're going to find just hundreds of them. Live life fearing the Lord. That's what he tells them. But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, there's another one, and love him. And then look at the last part of this phrase, to serve the Lord, look at that pronoun, your God. So from that, as I was reading that, and I was like, you know, you could ask me the question, and I'll ask you the question. You could say, Thad, is the Lord your God? And I would say he is. And so I'd say to you, is the Lord your God? You know, he not only tells them that they're to serve, but he tells them how to serve. Look at the last part of the verse. With all your heart and with all your soul. Ugh. Translated, that means this. Serving him should consume our lives because it is no longer I that live but who Christ lives in me how privileged we are while the world struggles for answers to all that's going on we should not have to struggle we know what the heartbeat of the Lord is that he desires us to confess sin. That he desires us to serve him and others. He desired that for Israel. It's repeated in chapter 13. Whoa. Chapter 13, verse 4. Notice what it says. You shall follow the Lord your God and fear him. And you shall keep his commandments. You could do a message on just the next one. Listen to his voice. You say, like that? how do we listen to his voice? Here you go. This is it. He has given us all that he wants for us to know and do right there. So, for Israel, they were to serve him. Look at that, verse 13. And cling to him. That was the expectation of God for his people. How did they do that? How would you grade them? At times, they did really well. But at times, not so well. You know what the hurdle to serving the Lord is? One of the hurdles? Self. Self. And that's a big one. Am I going to serve the Lord first, or am I going to serve self first? Paul, in writing to the Roman Christians in the New Testament, so the context here being the church, Paul, in writing to the Christians in Rome, said, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit. He's making this list of things for them to do. Right? Um. Taking a list of things God wants for us is easy to read, but it's hard to do. Notice in this list, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. 
You know what's really awesome about that word here, serving the Lord? In the context, it's the idea of serving and keep serving. So he's saying here, Christians, you serve and you keep serving the Lord. So in other words, there's the mind that believers are already serving. Already serving the Lord, and they should keep serving the Lord. And just as we said, that was the mind of Paul. If I'm to live on in the flesh, this will mean what? Fruitful labor. Philippians chapter 1. So serving the Lord means that I have to remove myself and allow the spirit of the living God to control my life so that when I'm out and about, I'm thinking about serving the Lord, which will in turn lead to serving others. I put in my notes where serving the Lord is lacking, sin can creep in. It's just the truth. We all know it. Well, the bar for service has been set very high. How does that look? You remember this verse in Mark chapter 10, verse 45? This was our theme verse when I was doing youth ministry at Springville Road. And they had come up with a verse years and years before I was there. What a great verse. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. Hold on a second. The Lord did not come to be served, but to serve. The first time when he came, he came not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. You know, Jesus lived the example of service, didn't he? When you think about it, he lived that. You know, one of the great things we should be doing right now during this time, and hopefully we've already been doing it, but we need to keep doing it, is looking for ways in which we can serve people. There's so much, the world's so consumed with self, but we need to be consumed with how in the world can we serve you, Lord, and others. I think one of the most amazing examples in all of the New Testament in the life of the Lord Jesus in serving others is in the upper room discourse found in John 13, where before Judas exits the scene, so get that in your mind first. Before Judas exits the scene, the Lord Jesus does something. You know what he does? He washes their feet. Some people have decent feet. Some people don't. When was the last time you looked at your own feet? But these guys, listen, there was dirt... They may have had sandals, but they were open and exposed to all the elements. There's no telling how ugly those feet got to be and how dirty and how smelly. We had a guy in college. He was absolutely disgusting. Um, in fact, he lived on the first floor of the dorm and I lived at the time on the third floor of the dorm. And when you walk down the stairs and you came to the second floor of the dorm and you begin to go down the stairs, you could smell the feet. In fact, his door was shut all the time. So when it was open, you just get that quick 
Uh, we know how disgusting feet can be. And so when you come to this text and you go, wow, our Lord, our God bent down and he washed the feet of the disciples, even Judas. Well, that's a pretty high bar there when you consider it. The church is told to do the same thing as the Lord, to serve others. Notice Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. For you were called to freedom. And yes, we were. Praise the Lord. Amen. <laughs> Glad I don't have 613 laws to follow. For you were called to freedom. We're saved by grace and we live by grace. But we don't abuse grace. He says, you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. And oh my goodness, isn't that easy to do? In fact, he follows it up in Galatians chapter 5 in talking about the flesh and how the flesh sets its desires against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And it doesn't take long for us in a day to get into ourselves, does it? And he outlines for them, for these believers in the Galatian region, the deeds of the flesh. And he says they're evident. And he goes through this long list of things that can happen. Where we can turn our freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. But notice what he says, verse 13. But through, and that's the vehicle, through love. Through love. Underscore that in your Bible. Through love serve one another. That word love there is the familiar term agape. Did you know agape love is a volitional decision to love someone? It's a volitional choice to say, I am going to do this. Now we know as believers that we don't have to try to do this on our own. And we're going to fail miserably if we do. But I am going to love my wife with the help of the Holy Spirit, unconditionally and sacrificially. And that's the idea here in this passage in Galatians chapter 5. Through love, serve one another. Through love, through unconditional, sacrificial love. In other words, easily said, you're not waiting to serve others until they get to the point where, okay, now I can serve them. They've met all the requirements. That's not the picture. Aren't we glad that's not the picture? Aren't we glad the Lord didn't deal with us based on that kind of picture? We are to serve unconditionally. We're not waiting for someone to arrive at the point where, oh, yeah, they're, they're good now. I can serve them. And then he says, and then the definition not only means unconditionally, but sacrificially. It's going to cost something. Um, it may be, for an example, that now would be the time to recognize those who can't get out and do. And one of the things that we can do in that is, Lord, how can I help this person? Because again, it's not about me. 
It's about them. You know, serving people within the body, if you really think about this, and I encourage you to take time this afternoon and do that, that's going to look different for every person. It's not going to be the same. You know, there's not this, this blanket, you know, this is how I can serve the whole body. Everybody's different in the body. And everybody has different needs. It could be that in serving someone, I just simply come alongside of them and do life with them. That can be serving others. It may be that I need to come alongside someone and just listen. There's a lost art. Just listen. Maybe that's what the person needs. And that's the way that I can serve them. But it may be that they actually want counsel. They want somebody to, to, to walk beside them and do life with them. But they want some answers to some questions that they have. By the way, service demands a commitment of time. And might I say that that's not always a convenient time. It's not always going to be convenient for you. I have been woken up on many occasions at 2 and 3 in the morning. And that can happen to you. And, and I answer the phone and they say, hey, Thad, well, I don't say, well, I don't have time for you now. I need some sleep. No. The mentality is that I need to listen to that person for whatever reason, whatever they may be going through. I don't know who wrote this, but I like the quote. Serving may mean the sacrifice of one's own desires, time, and energy to benefit others. Ugh. Sacrifice. It may mean the sacrifice of something that I had already planned to do in that day or for that period of time. So there ought to be a mentality as we go through life each day and whether we're dealing with COVID-19 or whatever it is, that we have the mentality of living life serving God and others. But then the last one that I want to give to you this morning is living life putting others before self. You see how those are kind of related? There's an article entitled uh, 50 Ways to Prioritize Yourself Before Others. <laughs> what an article. Um, in the article, this is written. I had a hard time with it because I was like, really, somebody wrote this? Always put yourself first. Now, that's the mentality of the world. Always put yourself first. They go on to write, it is highly important to always do what is best for you because you are the most important person in your life. That doesn't sound like any scripture I know of, does it to you? They go on to write, don't let others or anyone, that means the Lord or anyone, tell you any different. You serve you and your own happiness. That sounds like the doctrine of the world, doesn't it? You serve yourself because you're the most important person in the day. It's you. 
Well, is that what the Lord tells us for the believer? No. Now, this is one that has a lot of application for what's going on now. Putting others before self. And I'll let the Holy Spirit deal with you, and I'll let the Holy Spirit deal with me on how that looks. I'm not going to give you a list of things that I think you should do. That's not the purpose of this. The purpose of this is to understand that no matter what we're going through in the Christian life, all of these principles apply daily. So this principle of putting others before self, do you know the Lord speaks to that? There's two verses that I want to highlight this morning. This one is really, really difficult. Paul writes in that same passage in Romans 12 where he's making this list of things for the believer to be doing. He says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. But look at that last part. Give preference to one another in honor. You're probably not going to like what this means. But this is what it means. Let me define a couple of words. The word honor indicates something of value or precious. So it begs the question, do we view the body of Christ as valuable and precious? Every member of the body of Christ. Not just the ones that we enjoy hanging out with, but every member of the body of Christ is valuable. Man, that has been a constant thing in my life. Because this is the way it happens in most churches. I'm just painting you a picture. People come to a building like this, and they fellowship with people, and they figure out that that's going to look different for a lot, and so I'm just going to get in my group that I'm comfortable with. Hey, look, interest alone will separate you from others. That's the reality of it. But in the church, see, the world's going to behave selfishly. In the church, we can't do that. We don't, we don't have permission to do that. You understand that? We don't have permission. In fact, Paul goes a lot further than we don't have permission. You're going to see that in just a minute. The word honor indicates something of value or precious. I mean, listen, a mother, when they have children, they just, uh, their children are precious. They're valuable. For fathers, their children are precious and they're valuable. Your mate, right, your husband, your wife, they're precious, they're valuable. That's the idea. That's the picture. It's a picture of some, holding something up that's precious. And so the body of Christ, this is what's so awesome. The body of Christ should be so valuable to us. You know, that's part of the problem in the church at Corinth. You know, some were saying, hey, I'm more important than you because I got this gift. And they weren't. They didn't have the right perspective. The right perspective is simply this, that we value every member of the body of Christ. It's that simple. So that means they come before me. The word honor can also mean to hold in high regard. So that's the definition of the word honor in the text. The verb there 
preference or literally means to go before. Ugh, hold on a second. We've got to connect the dots here. So the verb preference literally means to go before. So what in the world is Paul saying? I wrote it out. This is what he's saying. Paul is saying that we should not only put others before ourselves. Now listen to this. We should not only put others before ourselves, but have in mind the other person first. The idea is of us viewing others as being ahead of us or going first. Ugh. You say, how often does that have to happen? That sounds awful. That I have to put others first before myself. All the time. All the time. It's a simple answer. Difficult to do. <laughs> Difficult to do. I struggle with it in my own life. Uh, all the time, by the way. But it's an other's first mentality. Can you imagine if you're a Roman Christian receiving that? You're like, what? I thought I was first place. So when it comes to this issue that we're going through today, am I going to think about myself or am I going to think about others? Well, the order is I need to think about others first. And you know that's supported in another passage that we already read this morning. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Look at this verse. Do nothing from selfishness. That word means a desire to promote self. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. Now that phrase, empty conceit, means this. It's a highly exaggerated view of oneself. How many athletes could we name who have that kind of view of themselves? But that's the idea. Paul says, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind. Regard. That word regard means, guard means to consider, to think of. Think of one another as more important than yourselves. Ugh. But Lord, I thought I was first place. I mean, the order is simple. It's the Lord first, and then others, and then us. And what's interesting is, I think people miss out on this last part. They stop with yourselves, and they don't go on to the next phrase. Notice what Paul says. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests. Well, should we look out for our own personal interest? Answer, yeah, but not first. But not first. Don't be selfish, Paul's saying, but also for the interest of others. Man, that's some hard stuff. When you think about the responsibilities that the Lord has given the church and the expectations that he has, it's like, Whoa. I know for me, in writing this list down, I'm like, man, Lord, this is huge. In other words, we're to consider the welfare of others before ourselves. In other words, we're to give careful attention to the lives of others before ourselves. That's the idea of the word. 
we're to consider the concerns of others before ourselves. And I don't care what kind of crisis we're talking about that comes up in life. We are prone to ourselves first. Let's just be honest. We're prone to that. And so to live these principles, right, to have them in our minds continually requires that we're being controlled by the Spirit of God because pride can creep in to keep me from confessing sin. Serving self can keep me from serving the Lord and serving others. Considering myself first can keep me from looking at the fact that others are more important than myself. I found this video that was amazing. And that was the Lord because I typed it in looking for a video that talked about the subject of putting others first. It was one of the first ones. And I don't even know how old the video is. Dr. Dobson doesn't look real old in it, so it's probably a pretty old video. But what a powerful lesson there is in this video on putting others first. And so I want to show this video, and then Ron and the praise team are going to come up and close us with a song, and then uh, I will close us in a word of prayer. Let's play the video. For the child who has absolutely everything. Dr. James Dobson for Family Talk. Well, that's a question Richard Crane dealt with every year on his son's birthday. So one year he just decided to ask him. The Crane family lived in a castle high on a hill beside a stretch of beach along the Atlantic Ocean. Across the sea lay the small town of Ipswich, Massachusetts, a city of 7,000 people living in stark contrast to the kind of life the Cranes enjoyed. When Richard asked his son Cornelius what he'd like to have, the boy answered, I'd like to invite all the children of Ipswich to a party on our beach. Well, it was a big request, but an unselfish one, so Richard granted it. June 16th arrived, and over a thousand children spent the day on the Cranes Beach, playing games and filling up on sandwiches and ice cream. The event became an annual tradition in Ipswich. Still today, over 60 years later, the town comes together each year to celebrate Cornelius' birthday. And it all began with a simple, selfless request from a young boy, a lad who had everything and wanted to share his good fortune with others. You know, it's not that difficult to make an impact on your world. All you really have to do is put the needs of others ahead of your own. You may not have the resources the Crane family had, Still, you can make a difference with a little time and a big heart. You can contact Dr. Dobson at MyFamilyTalk.com. Close out today, we'd like to um, just sing a little song that we've sung so many through the years. And it's based on Psalm 42 where it says, As the deer pants for the streams of water so our souls should long after God. And the whole context of that psalm there is about being cast down. We're cast down. We're cast down because we can't be together like we really want to be. We're cast down because we turn on the news and we hear all we hear on the news and we cast down because of a virus that has just really interrupted our lives. But over there in verse 5, it, it talks about waiting on God. 
And the word is to wait. And it's to wait, not to just wait and throw our hands up at the end, but it's the waiting with the expectation that God is going to show up. And so let's just close out the service today uh, by, by singing As the Deer. As the deer panteth for the water, so my soul longeth after thee. You alone are my heart's desire, and I long to worship encourage you over this next week to be thinking about these three principles that we talked about today you know live live life confessing sin live life serving the Lord and others and live life 
putting others before yourselves. And those are hard principles. They're not easy. Um, take a lot of chewing over. But I would encourage you to do so. Next week we're going to deal with a few more together. Uh, one of those live life trusting the Lord. I mean, that ought to be something that uh, you know confronts us on a daily basis. I'm sure it is. And so I hope these things will help you as you consider uh, what we've been going through as a church. And it will encourage you because all of these things are great reminders for us. That's what they are. They're great reminders for for how we should be conducting ourselves. Because ultimately, this is true. Live life knowing that one day, all of us who are in Christ, while we're not going to stand before the Lord condemned, we will stand before Him to give an account of our deeds done in the body for the Lord. And so I just encourage you to think on these things over this next week. As we come back together uh, next week, that you would um, be prepared in your heart and your mind. Lord, show me how I can serve you and others. Show me how I can put others first. Remind me, Lord, to confess before you because you're one that's forgiving. And so there's just a lot of good things to think through in this time. And I trust that um, no matter what's going on in your life, that these principles will come back to you over and again. Because I really believe they are healing principles not only for now, but for every single day that we live, hopefully to the glory of the Lord. So let's close our time together in a word of prayer, and then we'll be dismissed, and uh, you can go eat your steak. All right, let's pray together. But we just thank you so much for our time together today. Lord, we're mindful that you give us, just like you gave to Israel, you gave them walking orders. You said, hey, look, I'm the Lord your God. Do this and do this and do this. Lord, we're not doing these things to earn righteousness. Those of us who are in Christ have been dressed with the righteousness of the Lord Jesus himself. So we're not working for salvation. That's not the principle here. Our salvation is based on grace through faith alone in Christ alone plus nothing else. But Lord... In the freedom that we do have, you have given us principles for living a sanctified life, a life that would be pleasing to you. And so, Lord, it, that's tough to swallow. It's tough to, to really digest. And, and I pray that, that you would help us to daily put aside ourself I pray for myself first that I would do that. Lord, that daily... I would put myself aside and that I would be controlled by your spirit so that I can be pleasing to you in the things that go on in my life. I thank you for this morning. I thank you for Ron and the praise team, for them leading us in a time of worship through song. I thank you for your word that gives us clear guidance for how we're to live to your glory. And I thank you you haven't left us alone that you've given us your spirit that teaches us, that guides us. And I pray that we would walk by the spirit so that we would not carry out the lust of the flesh and that we would be men and women and children that are committed to the Lord Jesus Christ who is our example 
And all of this I pray in his wonderful name. Amen.